Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. In the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is described as a helper and comforter. Yeshua himself said in John 16, 7, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. In both the Old and New Testaments, there are individuals who are full or filled with the Holy Spirit, or who have the Holy Spirit come upon them, leading them to move powerfully in the Lord. So what is the Holy Spirit? Or rather, who is the Holy Spirit? We want to understand why He is important and also how the Jewish community views the Spirit. In this episode, we will look at these questions to understand the Spirit's role in God's design for redemption. Our guest today is Rabbi Dr. Stuart Dowerman. Rabbi Dowerman went to Manhattan School of Music and has written some of the most well-known Messianic worship songs. He also holds an MA and PhD in Intercultural Studies, and he has written several books, including Converging Destinies, Jews, Christians, and the Mission of God, as well as a book called Eat This Book, Strength for the Journey with the Jewish Jesus. Stuart, welcome to Our Hope. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. He is here in the studio with us. Um, And Stuart, you have done so many things for the Messianic community, and you have a doctorate degree, you are a rabbi, you are an author. So we have to ask, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do in your spare time? My son asked me that question about a week ago. (laughs) Like many people, my work is my hobby. My, you know, uh, I love to read, I love to study, I love to write, I love to communicate. So, um, um, I, I need to get a life, uh, but I'm only 78 years old, so I still have time. Definitely. Well, tell us a little bit about your ministry and your work. What are you up to these days? Well, as I look back over my life, all my life as a believer, um, what I've done is established creative new initiatives that advance the cause of Yeshua among the Jewish people. Mm. That's why I invented Messianic music. That's why I was the founder of a Messianic Jewish think tank called Hashivenu 
which had a lot of effect. I'm also co-founder of Messianic Jewish Theological Institute, and I've been a rabbi for over 30 years of a Messianic synagogue in Beverly Hills. And the common denominator in each of these creative enterprises is a desire to advance the cause of Yeshua amongst the Jewish people. And uh, it's not a burden that I created for myself. It surprised me, mm. uh, and it, it, it gripped me in my early and mid-20s, and it's never let go. So for over 50 years, I've been spending my life going from enterprise to enterprise to advance the cause of Yeshua. And right now I have a nonprofit called Interfaithfulness, mm. which is just kind of is a, is a hub from which my current activities radiate. That's awesome. And I know with that background in intercultural studies, you definitely are doing a lot to foster unity between the Jewish community and the Christian community and the Messianic community and the church as yeah, well. I see myself as standing at the intersection of the Christian and Jewish worlds, mm. interpreting each world to the other. I interpret the Christian world to the Jewish world. I interpret the Jewish world to the Christian world. I've been standing at that intersection all of my life because my parents— uh, my mother came from a Sicilian family. Mm -hmm. Although she converted to Judaism, that never really satisfied my father's sincerely Orthodox family. So he came from an Orthodox Jewish immigrant family. She came from an Italian immigrant family. And in that household, I was standing at the intersection of the Christian and Jewish worlds. And I've, I've been there ever since. What was that like growing up with that kind of, they call it an olive tree marriage, but Knowing that you're half Jewish and half Gentile, what was it like finding your identity? You, you, you can't think of yourself as half this and half that because it doesn't work in identity. It's kind of like the goose that laid the golden eggs. If you cut the goose open to get the eggs, you have no goose. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. you take a person and you say that he's half this and half that, he's whole nothing. Mm -hmm. So I always thought of myself as a Jewish kid with an Italian mother. And that was it. I was one thing, not two things. But, of course, how you are received from people in other communities, they may not see things that way, but they don't have to live with the identity. I have to live with it. Mm. And I lived with a whole holistic identity all my life. Wow. And so that identity kind of laid the foundation for your faith walk as well. Yes, but I never saw it until decades, decades later. As I've looked back over my life, and this is true of all of us as we look at the, the workings of God in our life. Uh, there was a famous Italian rabbi named Avadio Sforno, mm. and he asks why on the top of Mount Sinai, when, God, when Moses asks God to show him his glory, that God passes by, but he only allows him to see, to see the manifestation from behind. Mm. He won't let him see God with his brights on so to speak. Yeah. You can only see the taillights. Mm -hmm. And Sforno brilliantly commented that that's like our own lives. We only perceive the working of God in retrospect. Mm -hmm. We don't realize God is working at the moment, but later when we look back, we say, holy cow, which is not exactly a thing a Jew should say, but let's move on. <laughs> we say, God was in that, and that's the way I've seen my life. I've seen these threads that work, and it's part of the sovereignty of God. It's an extraordinary thing. Mm. So looking back at your life, how did you recognize the call that God placed on your life to do ministry in the Messianic That's community? a very good question. 
I had a, a kind of an insatiable passion to share Yeshua with Jewish people. I enjoyed it, but I didn't do it because I enjoyed it. I did it because I just felt it had to be done, and I felt I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you may think, well, that's obvious. You're a Jewish guy. You came to believe in Jesus. But no, this appetite, this hunger arose by surprise. I even, on on one occasion at least, I took an American flag and went into Crown Heights and stood there to street preach all by myself. Oh, wow. I wasn't a religious fanatic. I was just somebody who had to do something in order to discharge my my sense of of drive Mm. there. It was something that, that I had to do. And... I found it rather unusual. I was in Manhattan School of Music. I'd been a professional musician. Then after I came to Faith in Yeshua in Manhattan School of Music, I, I then uh, shifted my career to become a music teacher in public schools. So I had plenty to do. And this uh, initiative, this passion to uh, involve myself in proclaiming the gospel to the Jewish people arose by surprise but it wouldn't let me go. Mm. So when I came to the end of my bachelor's degree and I was beginning my master's program, I sought out people involved in New York City. In uh, the, They were in the precursor of Chosen People Ministries, what was called the American Board of Missions to the Jews, yeah. the only agency I knew of. I sought them out because I said, you know, I've got this hunger. Can you help me appease it? And... Uh, I've been appeasing it ever since, not not by under compulsion exactly, but with it's more a passion than a compulsion. A compulsion is unhealthy, but a passion is a sign of health. That's a beautiful way to put it, and uh, it's clear that you were led by the Holy Spirit in your work. And so today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and what role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of a believer? How does Judaism teach about the Holy Spirit? So, Stuart, who or what is the Holy Spirit? We know the Holy Spirit to be um, a a manifestation of the person of God. We think of God now, the way we are obliged to think of God is difficult for us. But I think what people don't realize is that we are always talking about God in terms of what he is not, because all we know is the created order, time, the time-space continuum. That's all we know. But God is the uncreated one. Yeah. He's not part of the time-space continuum, so we're always discussing God in translation. We're not speaking the native language of who God is, because we cannot access that. So our language about God is inevitably falls short of the full reality of who he is. Besides, Lorraine Hansberry had a play called Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. Mm. It's a beautiful metaphor. But but our minds are too small to conceive of God. In fact, if I tell your listeners, if you ever have somebody who can draw you a diagram of God and make God really so easily comprehensible to you, you know one thing. This person doesn't know what he's talking about. It's, it's cultic because the fact that the truth about God is something that I can't wrap my head around, mm. 
does not upset me. It reassures me because that's the way the truth of God must be. I, I live a few miles right now from uh, JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory oh, wow. in California. If I went to their cafeteria one day and an astrophysicist sat down at my table in the cafeteria, and if I asked him, so tell me about your work, in about 15 seconds, I would be totally, completely lost. Yeah. <laughs> if I can't understand an astrophysicist, then I certainly can't understand the basic nature of God. But the apostles, Yeshua's disciples, they were obliged to try and put into language what they had encountered by encountering Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. And believers ever since then, we've been obliged to try to synthesize into language what we perceive from Scripture and from encounter about the nature of God. With that in mind, God reveals himself as the Father, as the initiator of the promises and of the salvation of, 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 the, of the cosmos, uh, and of Israel as a significant instrumentality of that salvation and recipient of that salvation. But also there is a, a presence of God, a manifestation of the presence of God that mediates the knowledge of God to us. And that's the one whom we call the Holy Spirit. Mm. And then Yeshua comes to us as the supreme messenger from God, who is known as the Logos. Well, let me explain it this way. Mm -hmm. Across the street from me in California used to live a man named Colin Brown. Mm -hmm. Colin Brown's a very famous man. Every minister listening to your podcast has a book by Colin Brown on his shelf. Oh, wow. Colin Brown is a polymath, a man with, who, who has world, had world-class expertise in multiple areas. He was asked by InterVarsity Press to write a history of Western civilization. Now, you don't easily find one person who's asked to write a history of Western civilization. No. That was Colin Brown. And he taught theology for 48 years at Fuller Seminary. He lived across the street from me, a brilliant, charming man. And I had a conversation with him one day about this. And he wrote an article about, about the triune nature of God. And remember, we all use metaphorical language in talking about God because we can't do anything else. Yeah. And he said he's not satisfied with some of the metaphors that are used, which overemphasize God's threeness at the sacrifice of his oneness. Mm. So he tried to find a different metaphor. And he said, the Father is God. Think of the Spirit as the life of God and of Yeshua as the mind of God. Interesting. Uh, in that way, you think of God as, as one thing, but one thing which is necessarily also at the same time simultaneously three things. Mm. That's the way Colin Brand dealt with it. And the Holy Spirit is personal. It's not God's active force. I used to have a man attending my synagogue. He and his wife were wonderful people, but they did not believe in the personality of the Holy Spirit because they had come from a cult where that was disputed. God, he was called God's active force or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. And then I told this man, his name was John. One day I told John, I said, you know, the work of the Spirit is always talked about in terms of personal 
attributes, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, all of these are personality traits. You don't get personality from something that is only a force. You get personality from a person. Yes. And at that point, he realized that, yes, the Holy Spirit is personal. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would tell your people, too. Thank you for explaining that. I also, uh, at one point, had heard somebody say that the Holy Spirit doesn't have personhood in the Trinity. And so um, it is sometimes easy to kind of, you know, get it confused and kind of wonder, you know, is he a person? Is he just the essence of the Father? Um, But we're going to go into what the Old Testament says about the Holy Spirit, because this lays the foundation for explaining his identity. So how is the Holy Spirit presented in the Hebrew Scriptures? Well, the Hebrew Scriptures are kind of like the the bud of a flower. Mm. And that bud opens up in the Newer Testament, but it's the same plant. Mm -hmm. So there's not a cleavage between the two Testaments. In the Older Testament, for the most part, I think we can see the Spirit in in, in three ways. First, he's he's the Creator Spirit. Um, In the beginning, very beginning of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, darkness was on the face of of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Mm -hmm. So he's we see him in terms of creation. Number two, we see him in terms of empowerment. Mm-hmm. Numerous times in the Older Testament, the Spirit comes upon people to equip them and empower them for some kind of work uh, that involves the glorification of God and the accomplishment of his will. Mm-hmm. But that spiritual presence that comes upon people does, does, is not a permanent endowment. It's, a, it's an episodic empowerment. Mm-hmm. in the Older Testament. And thirdly, the Spirit is a communicating Spirit. Um, and you see this uh, blossoming in the Newer Testament. Every time, if you look at Luke and Acts, every time the Holy Spirit shows up, either you have people breaking out into poetry, uh, as in with Zechariah and Elizabeth, this, the Spirit manifests in some way, and it comes out in communication. The gift of tongues is also a form of communication. What we call the gift of prophecy, which I, which has become such a, a loaded term, I I prefer to refer to what I call weighted weighty words. Mm. There are times when when we sense when we're speaking that we develop a turn of a phrase and we feel the presence of God in the midst of the speaking. That is really the gift of prophecy. Mm. But it's not something which causes us to change our tone of voice to all of a sudden begin speaking in King James English. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a kind of, a, of, of an invasion of our simple words with a, with a presence and a significance and a resonance that is redemptive. And uh, uh, people who are anti-charismatic and anti-Pentecostal experience this as well. It's, it's normal. Now, there are degrees of this, uh, but the Spirit of God is a communicating spirit. The Scripture is, is a product of the Spirit of God. He is a communicating spirit. He's a creator spirit. He's an empowering spirit in the Older Testament, but that bud flowers in the New. 
Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second-generation young adults, and we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel. To learn more about this new exciting project, visit chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today. So in light of how the Holy Spirit is portrayed in the Old Testament, what do Jewish people understand about the Holy Spirit? How is it taught in Judaism? Yeah, well, that's a good question. But I think we have to understand that Jewish people don't think about their faith the same way Christians do. That's right. Jews don't think of their faith in terms of what do you believe. They think in terms of how do you live. Mm. A person can, can be the president of his synagogue and be a very prominent Jewish leader and be an atheist. But he's committed to the state of Israel. He lives an observant life. He lives a kind of life that is uh, that honors his heritage and that helps other people to do so, he is considered a good Jew. Yeah. But a good Baptist is considered a good Baptist if he believes the right things and talks about them in the right way. These are two different cultures. This is true. So the average Jewish person on the street <laughs> doesn't think about the Holy Spirit uh, really at all because they're not always assembling the theological grids. Mm-hmm. Their, their concern is more behavioral. And um, I think in Judaism in general, the Spirit of God is thought of uh, in, a, in a couple of ways. Uh, one is that he's a spirit of holiness. He's, 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 uh, uh, he's kind of the atmosphere in which holiness occurs, the atmosphere that arises when holiness is manifest. Mm. But they don't go into whether, it's, whether he's a person or not. It's, it's just not a question for Jews. It's a question of how does God work things out so that we honor him? The key question, I think, for, for religious Jews is not how, do, not how do I go to heaven when I die? Mm-hmm. The key question is, what does it mean for me to honor God in this situation as a Jew? That's the key question for religious Jews. What does it mean for me to honor God and my heritage in this situation in Jewish ways? That's the question, and that's the preoccupation. So um, he's, he's really the spirit of holiness uh, in, in Jewish thought, uh, certainly not a persona. But also the Jews know about this chena, mm-hmm. the, manifest, the manifestation of God, which happened in the temple. But that, that's been gone at least since the time of Ezekiel. Yes. And traditional Judaism also believes that the spirit of prophecy, the spirit that rested on the prophets, ceased 400 years B.C. So that's why when the New Testament opens up and the Holy Spirit opens, when Yeshua begins his ministry in Nazareth, Mm -hmm. and he says, says, 
The Spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to speak good news to the poor. That's a revolutionary statement. After 400 years in the Jewish world of silence from the Spirit, he's saying the, the, the station is on again. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. We have to see that in a Jewish context. It was an extraordinary statement because for 400 years, the, the activity of the Spirit amongst the Jewish people was considered to have been withdrawn. Mm. But now we are heirs of this speaking spirit. And I'm not, it's, I'm not talking about people seeking glory for themselves by uh, considering themselves to be the mouthpiece of God. I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about the fact that God is our companion in our efforts to communicate in ways that glorify God. Mm. He, is, he, is, he is an inhabiting companion. And it's a fantastic thing to think that way and live that way. That reminds me of that verse where Paul wrote that, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks for us in groanings that cannot be understood. Yes. 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 Wow. So speaking of Yeshua and this revolutionary statement that he made, how does Yeshua broaden our understanding of the Holy Spirit? That's another great question. Uh, Yeshua uh, links us to the Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 7, he was in a a holy day called uh, Hoshana Rabbah, Mm -hmm. where for days water had been poured out in the temple as a sign that water comes from God. Water comes from God because they were looking for water in in the context of harvest. And... um, Yeshua, at that pregnant time, stands up in the temple precincts and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Mm -hmm. Which, when you say that in the midst of of a liturgy that's constantly emphasizing that water comes from God, that's very provocative. Oh, yes. (laughs) And the scripture says, this he spoke of the Spirit, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Yeshua was not yet glorified. When Yeshua, after his crucifixion, his atoning death, and his resurrection, when he ascended back to the Father, from there he poured out the Spirit. That's the way it's spoken of, because the Spirit is often likened to water. Mm. He poured out the Spirit, and that Spirit has been a resident amongst God's people ever since in a different way, so that all of us are heirs of the Spirit. We don't, we don't all have to be like Samuel, or like even Saul was endowed, with, was endowed with the Spirit, like priests and prophets and kings that were endowed with the Spirit. Uh, we don't have to be special people in order for the Spirit to rest upon us. The Spirit rests upon all of us. The promise is to you and to your children and to everyone whom the Lord our God shall call, that Peter says about the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So getting back to your question about where does Yeshua fit in, after the atonement, we, beca- we became fit vessels for the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and he poured out the Spirit in order to accomplish in us God's work of conforming our personalities to the image of Yeshua. What God is up to in the world is, is that uh, those whom God justified, he, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son. Mm. Paul tells that in Romans 8, 
that God's game plan with us is to restore in us the image of God that was broken through the advent of sin in the world. And Yeshua sends forth the Spirit in order to expedite that and also to equip us uh, for the work of of bringing redemption to the world and peace uh, to all nations. And so he's the link and also the embodiment of what it means to be full of the Spirit, which is a term that means under the full influence of the Spirit. And it's, it's, it's not a uh, spatial term, because this Holy Spirit is not spatial. It's an influence term. It's being fully influenced and, and uh, by the Spirit. I, I don't want to use the term controlled, because we're not passive, no. but we are responsive to the initiatives of the Spirit that are very close to us because of what Yeshua has done. Um, it's like what somebody once said, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. It doesn't force you. It doesn't, you know, push you. You know, you may you may get a sense of leading from God. The invitation is there. I'm going to I'm going to talk about one of my pet hobby horses now. <laughs> Some people are inclined to talk to, to be really passionate to remind us that the Holy Spirit is silent. He's like some great searchlight that ex- that illumines Yeshua to us. Mm. That is that is a caricature mm. of the Holy Spirit. He certainly does illumine the Scripture to us. He certainly does draw us to Yeshua. Yeshua said, "No one comes to me unless the Father draw him, yes. and the Father does it through the Spirit." Mm-hmm. But uh, the Spirit is not a silent spirit. He's not mute. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're going to hear voices, but it means that he's a communicator. And uh, that kind of, that concept drove me crazy for the first 25 years I was a believer. Mm. Because my wife is a person who, pardon the expression, hears from God easily. If she loses a contact lens, she says, all right, I'll pray and God will show me where it is. And that kind of thing's happened with her. Oh, yes. But for me, it drove me nuts. I, I, it totally eluded me. She was speaking a foreign language. And then I finally realized that God is the great communicator. Mm. That when he wants to communicate with you, he will be able to do so. So relax, Stuart. Don't be so worried about how you figure out what God might say and how he might say it. Leave it in God's hands. He's the great communicator. Just chill. And that made a big difference. touched your heart, sweetheart. Yeah. I needed that because I was praying about something recently and it wasn't even like a big issue. But, you know, just constantly like, okay, I don't know what God is saying about this. And I'm like, I need to like hear from him now, you know? And it doesn't work that way. Let me, let me, <laughs> let, me uh, yeah. let me recommend to you an extremely good book yeah. that is not quirky and not anecdotally. Mm. By Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard. I wrote, read this book years ago under a different title. It's called The Hearing God. Mm. 
And he simply argues in the book for the fact that, that given the fact that we're called into relationship with God, it's fundamentally, fundamentally logical and realistic that we should expect that there is communication between the parties. And he talks about, he was an associate professor of philosophy at USC and a very widely respected speaker on Christian spirituality. When I read that book, I couldn't figure out what denomination is this guy. <laughs> he, he, yeah. he didn't give himself away. He didn't proof text. Mm-hmm. He only, he discussed things logically. He unpacked the reasonableness, that's the word I was looking for, the reasonableness that God would communicate. And it's a very, very helpful book. And not at all somebody banging their own pet hobby horse. So I suggest you read Hearing God by Dallas Willard. It will help you greatly. Take it from me. Thank you. I will definitely keep that in mind. Okay, good. So, Stuart, in light of the fact that we now have access to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is now has been sent, you know, in this post-resurrection, post-ascension world, we have the Holy Spirit. What does the New Testament mean when it says that certain people are filled with or full of the Holy Spirit? I think it's I think it's a term that uses for that's used for the degree of influence that the Holy Spirit has on them, how responsive they are to the promptings of the Spirit. Mm. When a person is full of the Holy Spirit, it's a way of saying they're they're rather fully uh, attentive to the initiatives of the Spirit that tend to be subtle. And uh, so they're spoken of as being full of the Spirit. And uh, I think it's some, this, I know that this is something available to all of us. It, it doesn't necessitate some kind of crisis experience. Mm. It, 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 it involves, for me, in many cases, it involves more a certain expectation that if you realize, you know, as, as Peter says, look, the promises for you mm. and for your children and for all whom the Lord God has shall call. Uh, that's, that, that's a word of encouragement. So come and drink, as, as Yeshua said. Uh, the water is there. There's, take the water of life freely. But a, a person can, will not normally be able to enter into this kind of experiential enrichment if they don't think it's available or if they think it's only available for superstars. Yeah. It's not something for superstars. It's for all of us, from the least of us to the greatest of us. And regardless of gender, regardless of age, Mm -hmm. Peter says, uh, your old men, your young men, your your maidservants, your male servants, all of us, regardless of class, regardless of age, this is is, uh, a gift. It's, it's, It's the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter speaks on that day, and on Pentecost. And he's not speaking then of, a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a term we use for various manifestations of the Spirit. Mm. He's talking about the Holy Spirit himself as a gift to us. And the thing that we should contemplate is that it is God's, God uh, binds us, binds his Spirit to our spirit. Uh, Paul says, he who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Mm. This means that the Holy Spirit is not out there. The Holy Spirit is in here. Yes. He is our spirit is our essential, our core self. And in a sense, the core self of God 
has bonded himself with our core self. So we're meant to lead our lives in a sense of, of with a sense of divine companionship. And man, that changes everything if you just begin to realize this is what God intends. And now, what can I do to enrich this possibility and to cooperate with it? That's what I recommend. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Stuart, we're going to ask you a personal question. Would you share some of your personal experiences with the Holy Spirit? Ah, yes. In the 1980s, mid-1980s, I was in Israel, and I was at a very bad place in my spiritual life. I was there teaching, and I was also studying, but I was in great personal spiritual darkness, and I was quite despondent. And uh, I read a book that summer by um, uh, Richard Foster mm-hmm. called Celebration of Discipline, and another book by a South African named Michael Cassidy called Bursting of the Wineskins. And it occurred to me, especially from reading uh, Foster's book, something new occurred to me that had never occurred to me before, that when I prayed, God might conceivably have something he wanted to say. That had never been part of my paradigm before. I've been raised as a standard brand conservative evangelical fundamentalist, where the assumption was that God had said everything he was going to say in the Bible, and that basically our analysis of the Bible, illuminated analysis of the Bible, was the only way that God was going to speak to us. But I realized that that was true in part, but not comprehensive. So I began to pray with my mind open to the idea that God might conceivably have something he wanted to say. I did not hear a voice. But in my mind, I pictured myself in a totally dark cave, in a place where there was no available light. You could see, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I was in a totally dark cave. But off in the distance, there was a little pinhole of light. At that point, I knew one thing. If I'm ever going to get out of here, I've got to walk towards that pinhole. Yeah. Now, that was a metaphor of what I had to do in my life at that time. So I came back to New York uh, from Israel with my wife and at that time one child, who is now the father of my first grandchild. Yes, muzzle top. Yes. And I came back and I, and I felt that I ought to go to some people I knew here in New York that were very godly people that I'd been involved with before I moved to California, mm-hmm. and to confess certain sins to them. And when I did, I found out that they had been led by God, especially the wife of one of them, uh, to pray for me. They'd been praying for me for a year. Oh, wow. Without knowing anything about my malaise. At that point, I knew two things. I knew that they had heard from God, mm-hmm. and I knew that I had heard from God. That was an utterly new experience. Now notice that God speaks subtly. So that was a, they prayed for me, and it was like my whole life was a log jam that was all stuck. And as I prayed, the log jam was blown open and everything started to flow. That's one, I'll tell you one more story. Mm. And 
those of you who are listening to this, don't base your doctrine on, on what you hear me say. My experience is not meant to be a model for yours. Mm-hmm. But I'm speaking to you as a guy who spent about 25 years totally skeptical and weirded out by all this stuff. I didn't want to touch it with my very long 36-inch arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was driving in Pasadena, California at a time when um, I felt d- disrespected by uh, my peers, and I really felt uh, dejected. And I was driving, and all of a sudden, a thought came into my mind, have you done what I told you to do? Mm. I drove a little further, and I realized, wait a minute, what happened here? That thought wasn't, have I told what God told me to do? Or have you done what God told you to do? It was an inquiry without any emotional push. Uh, you know, the Bible says, with the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Mm-hmm. When God speaks, there's no coercion involved, none. As a matter of fact, it's weightless. But it's just an inquiry. Have you done what I told you to do? At that, realize, realize, at that moment, I realized, wait a minute, I think I just heard from God. Mm. And then I thought, um, when I thought about it, I realized, if God has given me something to do, that gives me all the dignity I need in my life. I don't need the approval and the engagement of my friends. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a servant of the true and living God who has given me something to do. This is a little lesson for everybody. As you read the prophets, you see when God speaks in a revelatory way, he speaks in, in two modalities that are connected but different. You look at the first chapters of Jeremiah, you'll see this clearly. First, he gives you oftentimes a visual metaphor. He says to Jeremiah, what do you see, Jeremiah? And he says, well, I, I see an almond branch. But he doesn't know what it means. So the, the, the revelation, if you, we can call it that, is one thing. But the explanation of the revelation is another thing, yeah. the interpretation. So there's, there's the metaphor, and then there's the explanation of the metaphor. And all of this is very gentle. I wonder, And no one should become... Uh, very inflated, and feel like they're absolutely super special. This is just kind of the loving activity of the Spirit of God, especially at crisis times in our lives or in the lives of other people. Mm. Uh, So I've been pleased to experience the initiatives of God on other times, especially when when I'm involved in intense praying for other people. God will sometimes make things known that you couldn't possibly know otherwise. Now, that may spook some people out, and it may get cut from this recording because that's very, uh, that's that's loaded. But it's subtle, and it's also when the spirit of God is at work, He creates freedom. Mm. Not only is He non-coercive, but He increases people's freedom. That's one of the ways you know that God is at work instead of the devil. The devil always restricts our freedom. He traps us. He he uh, hems us in. Mm. God increases our freedom. And that's all I'll say about this loaded subject, because I might get stoned before I get out of the building. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. Wow. And what you said was a good reminder, too, that 
especially in this day and age where everybody's seeking approval from other people, especially online, as long as you're doing what God has called you to do, that's sufficient. You don't have to be the smartest or the most accomplished or the most popular. And I want to encourage everybody, you know, Yeshua came, one of the reasons he came is to open up for us the possibility of greater intimacy with his father. Mm. So that we, we might have the kind of relationship with the father that Yeshua had. That's exactly what he indicates in John 13 through 17. If you read that, uh, that, that, that he says that you might be one with the father just as I am. He He's opening to us He's inviting us into into the relational intimacy that he shares with the Father. Mm. That seems outrageously impossible, but it's what he says. And that's that's where the action is. So we have one more question before you go. How would you encourage a Jewish believer who follows Jesus but isn't sure about the Holy Spirit's role in his or her life? That question needs to be resolved in companionship with responsible elders and advisors in one's life. We we all tend to default to a kind of individualism in our spirituality, mm. but that's not the way God designed things. So I would encourage people to counterbalance our tendency to go off on, on in detours and go and sometimes go off somewhat cockeyed and we don't know it. Mm-hmm. to process things with responsible people whose judgment you you admire, uh, people who will tell you what you don't want to know because they care about you, mm-hmm. but also people whose life with God you respect. Not that you take notes from what they say and just simply become carbon copies of them. No, you have your own experience with God, but you want to, you want to check things out with someone else. That's point number one. Mm-hmm. Point number two is uh, uh, Yeshua said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So the first thing to pray about is pray for thirst. Mm-hmm. Pray that you'll be thirsty for the God, things God wants you to be thirsty for, because thirst comes before drinking. So pray for thirst, have wise counselors, and number three, don't worry. God, God is... Uh, is the one who initiates this. There was a a hymn that I encountered early in my life as a believer in which the words were this, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my heart to seek him, seeking me. Mm. It was not I who found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. So the idea is that even when we seek God, the initiative comes from God's side. He moves us to seek Him. And if He moves us to seek Him, our seeking will be rewarded. So pray for the, the thirst, because if God makes you thirsty, He will not leave you thirsty. The Holy Spirit isn't some force or entity separate from God. Rather, He is a divine person, equal in power and glory to Jesus and the Father. When Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent the Spirit to dwell within the believers. 
With the Holy Spirit, we can truly live an empowered life in Jesus, declaring that His strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit is called a comforter because He reveals God's grace in our struggles. He enables us with divine wisdom, strength, and gifting to do the work of the kingdom. He leads us into truth and unites us with God. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, or if you have any other questions, reach out to us at chosenpeople.com contact. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. You can also share this podcast with your family and friends on social media. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Rabbi Dr. Stuart Dowerman. This episode was written by Grace Sweet and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Kyron Bautista, Nathan Scherer, and Robert Walter. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. <laughs>